The Law Report. Aaron Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're focusing on garnishy orders, or to give it its proper name, an emolument attachment order. Now, this topic was suggested by a listener, Brian Fenter. Brian, thank you very much for the suggestion, and uh, hopefully all of you listening will get a lot of good information out of this. Well, this order is imposed on an employer who has a legal obligation to deduct from the employee and to pay over the amount to the lawyer or the administrator on a monthly basis. But there is a process that needs to be followed by law in order to obtain the order. Now, often consumers are unaware that a judgment has been taken against them, and that means that the process was improperly conducted. Well, to help you with any questions you may have, both as an employee or as an employer, I'm joined in the studio this evening by Louise Ostler. She's an attorney practicing at Schoolman Attorneys in Cape Town, and also by Peter Orwell, and he's a senior forensic manager at Edward Nathan Sonnenberg, also in Cape Town. Good evening to you both. Welcome to the show. Thank Good you evening. very much. Good evening. Well, before we begin, a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. You just go to Law on SAFM. But if you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. And if you have any questions for us tonight, you can call us on 0892-102010, 0892-102010. Louise, I think let's start from employee perspective. What should people be made aware of as far as these orders are concerned? Probably the most important thing is, um, you know, it already starts at the time when an em employee receives a summons, and that would obviously be after a letter of demand, that kind of thing. Um, often at that stage, a person is asked to sign a consent to judgment, um, which is then turned into a default judgment, and often would then immediately act as a consent to an emolument attachment order. So, you know, to start right at the beginning, as soon as the employee receives anything in writing, letter of demand, summons, anything like that, they need to read it carefully and try and get the advice of an attorney, even if it's at a law clinic or an office of the Justice Centre, and have that attorney go through it and make sure that this person will not be signing their lives away, essentially. It's a case of don't ignore it. It's not going to go away. Absolutely. And Peter, from an employer's point of view, they, by law, have to take the money off an employee's salary. But what do they need to check on that order before they start doing that? Well, there are a few things they need to check. Uh, first of all, they need to see on the order that the um, employee's name is there. There's an identification in terms of who the employee's identity number is or staff number. There should also be a case number. And at the same time, uh, they need to ensure that there's a valid order, an original order at the same time, which is uh, produced with a copy so that um, you can make sure that that order is in fact valid. And it should have a, a stamp from the clerk of the court as well. We have had callers into the show before who've said suddenly they've, they've got their pay slip and there's all this money that's missing and they've gone to make inquiries and it turns out that there was this judgment against them and now there was a garnishy order. Surely the employer should talk to the employee before they start taking this money off or, <clears throat> excuse me, by law, are they not supposed to be required to do that? We've, uh, in the work we've done with employers, we've said it should be good practice that as soon as an employer is issued with a garnish order, they should advise the uh, employee. They should, in fact, give them a copy of, of the order, and they should explain what the order means, its implications, their rights. And we've gone about creating a handbook for employers to assist them in that process, to also educate employers, but at the same time to assist employees in terms of what they need to do next now that the, uh, the order has been issued. So this handbook, Peter, where can they get hold of this? They can get hold of it from our office. Um, 
they can call me on 021-410-2500. And just ask for Peter, and uh, you'll be able to tell them how to get hold of this handbook. That's correct. What is it called, this handbook? It's the uh, Emolument Attachment Order Handbook, uh, and it's for both employers and employees. Okay, so I mean, because I think people need to, to be able to see it. If they, they, they've got it in front of them, if something happens, they've got all those points of reference Definitely. there. Now, things like these attachment, these garnishy orders, um, how is the fraud situation? I mean, is there a lot of that going on? I mean, because there's a, an abuse of these things. I mean, to start with, employees are getting caught by them all the time. Louise? Yes, the, unfortunately, there's a lot of fraud. Uh, probably the most common uh, fraudulent activity surrounding emolument attachment orders is um, the rules of jurisdiction are very specific. Uh, the order should be applied for in the court where the employer has their place of business. Um, but often these orders are sought in courts in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, the reason that the, the creditors do that is because once the order is granted, then it's very difficult for the debtor to now actually go and have this order amended or rescinded because they can't physically get there. And also, of course, can't afford to hire attorneys to represent them wherever they are and in that place where the court is. So that's one of the biggest problems. Then, of course, another big problem is fraudulent consent. So signatures will be forged. Um, and in that way, uh, the clerk of the court will assume that the signature is the signature of the debtor when, in fact, it's a forged signature. So, unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, fraudulent practices going on. How much strength does the employee have when it comes to trying to dispute this now? Yeah, it, it, it's very hard for them usually because they're often uh, the, low, the least financially literate. They, they don't understand what the order is. And they really struggle to to deal with um, what, what has happened in essence. And without seeking legal advice, um, a lot of them will struggle. And in fact, the situation gets worse because most of the time they, they ignore it and hope it goes away. And often in those situations, we found that those consumers keep on taking out more debt, more agreements, and often ring up two, three, four, five, and we've seen 12 emolument attachment orders where uh, they just ignored them and just taken out more debt. What is a Section 129 letter? A uh, Section 129 letter is essentially a letter of demand that's in terms of the National Credit Act. And that's really something that starts the debt collecting process. So that's before summons, before judgment, and therefore uh, right, you know, uh, where before you get to emoluments attachment. So if you get stage. one of those, a Section 129 yeah. letter, you should actually try and make some sort of an arrangement with your creditors Absolutely. before you get to the point of having the garnishy order. Yeah, you know, at that stage when all you have is a letter of demand, you've had no court action instituted against you yet. So then you've still got the option of going to debt counselling, which is provided for by the National Credit Act. Once you've got a judgment against you, that debt counselling option is not available and you know you would have been blacklisted and things become a lot more difficult so as soon as you get a letter of demand of whatever nature you know any kind of legal legal letter you need to go and see an attorney and if you can't afford one try and get to your nearest um, legal advice office now there's something else that i think people need to be aware of it's something called the induplum rule could you explain that peter sure <laughs> or louise whichever one of you is more comfortable talking about that Louise. Okay. Um, the Induplum Rule, it has changed since the, you know, the coming into being of the National Credit Act. In the past, what the Induplum Rule meant was that, um, for example, say you got a judgment against you for a capital amount of 5,000 Rand. The interest on that amount could not exceed the amount of the capital. So your interest could not exceed 5,000 Rand as well, but legal costs could basically run into infinity. And that's where people got caught. So they could have um, a capital amount owing of 5,000, interest of 5,000, but then costs in the tens or 20,000s of rands. 
since the introduction of the National Credit Act, the indubitum rule has been extended so that now neither costs or interest together can exceed basically twice the capital. So, you know, if your capital is five, then all of those costs couldn't exceed another five, if you see what I mean. So it's become a lot more uh, strict. Manageable as yeah, well. Yeah, and yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll see a difference because of that. Peter? What, uh, why I paused a bit is, is I've met with several organizations, employers recently, and employee bodies, and there are a lot of um, attorneys that are not enforcing that rule. In fact, it seems to be poorly understood. And uh, when we've challenged attorneys on that rule, a lot of them ignore it and just carry on doing what they're doing. So we've, we've landed up in quite a lot of dispute with attorneys who, who really just ignore that rule. So although it is there, uh, a lot of them, I think, don't understand it uh, and its implications. We know some attorneys don't have systems that properly manage it. And um, the third set is attorneys that... Um, just ignore it and kind of run the costs they want to co they want to put onto the debt. So if you as a consumer are have a debt and you have something that that's the, and the costs are mounting up, it can't be more than what you originally owe. So there's, as you said, if you owe 5,000 Rand, the total amount of your costs, your interest, everything cannot be more than another 5,000 Rand. So if that is what's on your account is more than another 5,000 Rand, you've got a right to go and try and get that sorted out because you don't have to pay it. Am I correct? Yeah. But okay. as Peter says, you know, a lot of a lot of attorneys and sort of debt collection agencies and that probably haven't even bothered to really read the National Credit Act, you know, um, and that's why they ignore these things and, and sort of try their luck. And then it's up to you as the debtor to, you know, get assistance when you, you see that things are maybe, you know, uh, getting out of control and then tackle these people. Because a lot of them, you know, bank on people being ignorant and not getting help Absolutely. and just paying religiously every month. And yeah, so not good. Well, we're just going to go over and see what's happening with the soccer. But after that, if you'd like to ask some questions, you can call us now. We'll put your calls on hold while we're doing the soccer crossing. It, the number to call is 0892-102010, 0892-102010. And we're talking about garnishy orders and all the problems you've got about that. Peter, you were talking about um, problems you have with attorneys not taking cognizance of the rules effectively. Yeah. But you actually, this is what you do in your business. You actually are trying to educate, if you like members of the law society and different garnish order companies those sorts of things how is that working out um unfortunately it's it's it hasn't been that, that successful we find that generally speaking from the side of the attorneys um they really are quite resistant to uh f following the rules in in terms of the, the garnish orders and i must say that is a small collection but um they aren't following the rules uh, we've also dealt with garnishy audit companies where we found that um, where complaints have been made to law societies, they appear to be reluctant to have acted on their members. And um, this has been going on for a while. And I've received many complaints in the last three, four weeks where people have said they've reported it to law societies and law societies haven't taken action. But I'm glad to, to say that this week I received a letter from the Law Society of the Northern Provinces who have started taking a, an interest in, in what their attorneys are doing and really asking for more information in terms of any information that we may have that affects any of their attorneys. So I am glad to say that the uh, Law Society has started taking action or is start showing interest and we hope that that's a start of 
uh, those those attorneys that are not uh, following the rules that action is taken against them. Now, it's not just the law society that that interests you. It's it's organisations and big business yeah. that need to also get their ducks in a row That's because right. I don't think they are as well educated as they could be. No, I think. Uh, from several of the projects and advice we've given to clients, I think the biggest problem that we have is the staff working at employers are not properly educated on what an emolument attachment order is. What do they need to look for? How does it get served? Um, what do they need to ensure is on the form? Do they, how do they need to validate and go through a checklist to ensure it's correct? Uh, we find several instances where emolument attachment orders have been captured onto a system. They've forgotten to capture a balance, um, they've captured information incorrectly, which has led to the prejudice of the employees. And it's only through the involvement of um, either through investigations or garnish your audit companies where those errors have been picked up. And one of the, the investigations we did was where um, interest rates were going up as high as 20, 239%. 239%? Yeah. And uh, we had to report them to the national credit regulator who fortunately took action. Um, but we're finding that uh, the, because the Indupland rule, rule isn't consistently maintained, that um, the employees are often the one uh, that suffer, often through the uh, lack of understanding from the employer side. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword from the employer side, affects the employee that's just being exacerbated by, call it rogues in the process. But you are working on the problem. We are working on the problem. And employers need to just be aware and possibly get some help. That's if right. They don't understand how it works. That's right. And we're finding more and more companies are doing health checks just to ensure that the process that they are, they're running for the employees is correct. They fully understand their legal rights and the, employee, the employees' legal rights. And they are becoming more uh, informed as to what needs to happen to protect the employees. Because ultimately, if the employees are not happy, it affects morale and could impact on fraud and corruption. Because as we find, is if employees uh, have so many deductions and they go down to zero-based pay packets, they put on immense pressure to find income to to survive. We have our first caller on the line, Anthony in East London. Good evening. Good evening, Karen. Hello. How can we help you, Anthony? Karen, I had a, a garnishy issued against me. Mm. Uh, and that was basically for, I think it was 11,000 rand, that was the initial debt. Now the garnishy got, got, got issued. You know, when the garnishy was issued at the time, they were cost added. I understand I didn't pay for some time, I couldn't at the time. Now the cost got added. When the, when the garnishy was issued, it was issued for just about 20,000 rand. Uh, that debt is almost paid up now. I phoned the attorneys, and and according to them, I still got something like an extra seven, eight thousand rand still owed to them. Now I don't understand how that work. Louise, right. Well, unfortunately, that's quite a common uh, situation. You know, the best sort of advice to give somebody in your position would be to go and see an attorney if you can't afford one to go to. Um, a justice centre, a law clinic, or any kind of advice office you can find, and ask them to just assist you in getting a detailed breakdown of all the costs and interest, as well as uh, you know showing a reflection of all the payments that you made, so that they can help you in just trying to work out whether any of the costs should not be there, uh, which obviously you know does happen, um, but it is quite a complicated process to sit and go through all of those costs. 
Um, if you can't manage that, it is possible as well to, you know, sort of report the attorneys to the Law Society and ask them to get involved in clarifying all of this for you. But it's a good idea to try and, and establish, you know, exactly what they have charged you for and whether what they've charged you for is actually um, correct or not. Anthony, when did this debt start? Because I was, well, my question is, is based on the fact of does it matter when the debt started it to be affected by this induplum rule? It does, yeah. Okay, so when, when was this debt incurred, Anthony? When did this, the garnishing order start? Uh, current, this garnishing order started two years ago. So it should fall within, is it, does yeah. it fall, yeah, falls within the National Credit Act and all yeah. those sort of things? Yeah, the National Credit Act came into force, I believe, on the 1st of June 2007. Mm. So, yeah, you know, if they are then... Um, you know, if it really seems like the costs and the interest are starting to outweigh the initial capital debt, then, you know, that certainly, certainly is a cause for concern. Yeah. But you can, Anthony, you can actually ask the company to issue you with a list. If you've got all your proof of payment papers that you've paid, if you've got copies of your deposits and those sorts of things, you're quite entitled to ask them for a breakdown and to send you a detailed account of all the costs. You can actually ask them for that. You're entitled to do that. Yes, I know. You know, that's not going to be a problem getting that information from the company. I'm, I'm not going to have a problem getting that. Okay. It's just that, uh, to me, uh, it was when, when I made queries, and I thought that I should make queries to, 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 to the attorneys, which I did, because I realized that the, 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 um, the payoff amount is, is almost it's going to get finished next month. Uh, and I thought, let me just phone them as a matter of interest to make sure that they are up to date as, as far as the debt is concerned, that this debt is going to cease now. It's only then that I was told about an, an amount. And, and even then, when I spoke to these people, it seemed to me, because they couldn't, they couldn't tell me uh, uh, exactly how they got to this outstanding amount that, that I still owe, and I asked them for a breakdown. They they promised me they're going to email me one, which they didn't do. And and yeah, I I thought maybe I should go in and see them. But I wanted to get some information from somebody knowledgeable to help me in it. And and that's why I called you on the program. Well, have you had? Have we helped you enough there, Anthony? Yes, you have. Thank good. you. Well, good luck with that. And um, just make sure you find out what they're doing. Don't let them get away with cheating you out of any more of your money. Absolutely. Not. Okay, Absolutely thanks for getting not. through. Thanks, Anthony. Good okay, night to you. Bye bye. Kay in Kwazulu Natal, good evening. Hello, Karen. Yes, hello, Kay. Hi. Um, uh, just a quick question. I don't know if either of your guests, I know this is about garnishes, but you were talking about the induplin rule. Yes. And I was just wondering is a material bond also subject to the induplin rule? Oh, I, they're both looking a bit shell shocked here. Um, Louise. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're keeping them on their toes, Kay. I mean, you know, got to keep them awake and on their toes here. So, yeah. thanks for that. <laughs> okay, I'll listen on the radio in case one of them manages just, just to just ask it again from the recesses somewhere. What was that? You wanted to know was also affected by the induplum rule was a material bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Material, material bond. Material, also subject to the rule. material bond. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll hopefully they'll um, 
have a flash of inspiration surely shortly <laughs> and uh, we'll see if we can't get an answer for you thanks Thank Kate. You so thanks much. for getting Enjoy through thanks greatly. thanks a lot good night to you Bye-bye. well if you've got a nice question for us it doesn't shock my guests <laughs> you can call us on 0892 10 2010 should we put that on the back burner for now yeah i mean you know we can i can certainly find out and let you know and then you can okay. perhaps um put we it on your website know. or mm. let Kay absolutely know. Yeah, absolutely that'll be great okay i just want to talk about prescription debt because that's another thing that people think this is a nice way of getting out of paying something. But not, first of all, not all debts prescribe. Municipal mm-hmm. accounts and those sorts of things don't. But what is the story with that? A lot of people get caught out when debts have been sold. Debt, debt books have been sold by one company that's pretty much written off the debt at this point. They sell it on to somebody else. And then you get these funny phone calls saying, if you, you, know, you could be able to enter you in a competition and you could be able to take 5,000 Rand off your debt or something. And people then fall for that and restart a debt that actually has prescribed. Yeah, unfortunately, um, okay, well, to begin with, with uh, general debt, so uh, money owing, the, prescript, the, the prescription period is three years uh, from when uh, the debt was incurred uh, three years later it will prescribe, which means it's pretty much extinguished. But there are certain things that interrupt prescription, one of which is the service of a summons on the debtor. Uh, another one is an acknowledgement of debt, you know, where the debtor actually says, yes, I owe the money and I'm, you know, I'll pay it in installments or however. And that acknowledgement of debt could be done um, in writing. It could be done verbally to an attorney. You know, there are lots of ways that somebody can can do that and that the attorney can then argue, well, a prescription's been interrupted. So certainly you get uh, crafty sort of people who buy debts and then try and, you know, elicit a, an acknowledgement of debt out of the debtor. Um, so once again, that's where people need to know their rights, you know, and if they know, hang on, this debt is, is old and... Um, you know, about to, to uh, prescribe, they should certainly see an attorney before they, you know, um, before they say anything. Having said that, obviously, you know, you can't avoid your debts. If no. it's within three years um, and you are approached by legitimate attorneys or collection uh, or a collection agency, you know, you should really do the right thing and not try and evade them until such time as, as okay, the case. Don't go shopping tomorrow, buy yourself a <laughs> house full of stuff and think, well, I'll, I'll just sit here and chill for three years and then say, oh, no, sorry, it's prescribed now. Don't do that. Because you Absolutely. will actually end up probably getting a bad name out there, yeah. credit-wise. It's yeah. not going to do you any good at all. Yeah, yeah, and of course, I mean, you know, um, attorneys and, and debt counsellors know what needs to be done. And what they can do is literally the day before the debt's going to prescribe, they can have the summons served on you on an urgent basis. And they you know, the whole um, prescription period is, is then interrupted. So, you know, um, if, if the, the creditors really want to get you, they will. So rather, once you know the debt's been incurred and that you do owe it, just make arrangements. How long does the, if once if you had a garnish order imposed on you, how long does that stay on your credit record? Well, you know, the thing is, once a judgment has been granted, so that would be, say, the default judgment or consent judgment, that doesn't go away for 30 years. That judgment wow. stays. Um, being blacklisted is something different. You know, that's through the credit bureaus. So... As far as I know, they're meant to automatically come off after a certain time, but they don't really ever seem to. You need to have the judgment rescinded and then send a copy of the, the rescission order to those credit bureaus. And only then, you know, they, they sort of undertake to take your name off. But wow. even then, that <laughs> takes a while. Yeah. So it's not as easy. So rather don't yeah. get yourself in that situation. Well, that's, yeah, Bottom that, line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you said earlier, with as soon as that letter of demand comes, you know, that's when you've now got time to save yourself because no judgment has been granted. You know, summons hasn't even been issued, so there's no uh, pending uh, court matter at all. So that's when you're in the best position to 
you know, go and make arrangements with the creditor and try and avoid any kind of court action and avoid costs and that's when you can really save yourself. Yeah. So rather get ahead of it. Absolutely. Get ahead of the, of the, yeah. of the tornado that's coming. <laughs> well, it's time once again to catch up with the latest in the match between Nigeria and Burkina Faso at the Mbombela Stadium in Nelspret. Mo Ali's at the game. Mo, what's the score? Thanks, Mo, and we'll catch up with you again just before the end of the show. Uh, next caller on the line, Robert in East London. Good evening. Good evening, Corin and the panel. Hi. How can we help you, Robert? Um, I'm, when I was coming a bit uh, almost the opposite of what you're discussing tonight, I have a situation whereby um, I was uh, in a vehicle and somebody rode into the back of me and uh, quite substantial damage was done to the vehicle and um, I had that repaired and, uh, well, uh, I'd, you know, initially the, the uh, police investigated the matter and they came to me, I don't know how many times, I had to go back and show them where it occurred and all this type of thing. And then eventually when I made inquiries, they said, no, uh, the prosecutor declines to prosecute. So I said, but why? And they gave me a long story. And I had to go and get the documents where they'd already been filed away. And I persisted. This happened in 2006. And I persisted. I wrote to the prosecuting authorities and everybody else. And after months of writing and sending faxes and telephone calls, and that, they, they did prosecute. And um, the, the guy was found guilty. And so I made inquiries. And they said, well, you know, um, I can go to the small claims court and uh, claim up to 20,000 rand. So I got my receipts and everything else, and I took it along to them. And they issued, uh, you know, uh, um, they, they made this guy go to, you know, court after the court case, and he'd been found guilty. And then they had a guy, uh, they called him a commissioner, who listened to both sides of the story and then decided to take a thousand rand off my claim because he said uh, the vehicle did not have to be resprayed in total, you know, although it had to be because it was damaged badly and it had to be. You know, um, you know, when they worked on it, some of the paint flaked off, and it was they had to respray it to make it look the same as it did previously. But he just decided to take a thousand rand off that, and then they decided that um, I can, sue, uh, you know, uh, get uh, the balance, which then came to about twelve thousand rand. Uh, sorry, about eleven thousand rand. And uh, this guy only has to pay me back three hundred rand a month, and I objected to it. And they said, no, well, you know, that's, that's what happens. This uh, guy's got the authority to make that decision, and that's his decision. And then the guy paid for about three months and defaulted. And then I had to go back to court again. And, uh, you know, every time I have to pay for the sheriff's to issue summons, and this guy, you know, changed the address and all this sort of thing. So I've been to court since 2008 when this happened, probably 60 or 70 court appearances before the case was even handed over, you know, and he was found guilty. And then when I made the claim... Uh, the, this commission said to me, why did you wait so long to make the claim? So I said, well, I wanted to make sure that this guy was going to be found guilty because so many things happen in court where you think the magistrate is going to find him guilty and, and you know, then that doesn't happen. So where are you at the moment now, Robert? Well, um, he, he paid and then defaulted again, like I say, and then he was supposed to pay the balance for what he owed um, the last week before uh, the, the Christmas break. And then he didn't come up with the money then and then uh, they, they phoned me and said, oh, he offered to pay 12,000 Rand uh, when he got his bonus. And then, uh, when, uh, you know, when he got his bonus, then he, he hummed and hard again. So what, so is that, your, what is your actual question here, Robert? What are you wanting uh, the, my guests to help you with? Well, what I'd like to know is, you know, the, who is supposed to be these guys that are called commissioners and what authority have they got that they can just deduct an amount of money and then, you know, make a, a decision that you've got to, uh, the guy's only got to repay, you know, 300 Rand a month which will take him years and years, and there's no interest added to that. Okay. And, and no cost. Well, they said cost, 
And then when I queried it the last time, they said, oh, yeah, this guy did allow an amount of 16 rand for costs. But it's cost me about four or 500 rand for the sheriffs and, you know, the registered letters and everything in the meantime. Okay. This isn't quite what we're talking about, but just as a little sidebar here, um, can someone like, like Robert actually get a garnishy order onto this guy's salary? I mean, how does that work? I mean, could he do that? Yeah, you know, what he would need to do is, is, unfortunately, he would need to do this through an attorney. He'd need to go to the attorney and discuss his debt collection options, which are essentially, um, there are three available. The one is the warrant of execution against property, which is not worth it if we're talking about a small amount of money. Um, and as Robert said, he's already spent a lot of money on sheriff's fees. He's then got the root of emoluments attachment order, but once again, um, you know, there are sheriff's fees involved and... It will all depend on where this guy is working, how much he is earning, whether he's going to consent to the emoluments attachment order, because if he's not, there are provisions in the Act which allow you to get one without consent, but it's not so easy. Um, then the third option is the Section 65 debtors inquiry, which usually results in you know, the offer of monthly payments, which is what the commissioner already arranged, which was that 300 rand a month. So it's really a matter of seeing an attorney sitting and looking at how much is left, what costs are there, because all the sheriff's fees can be um, added to added, that. And trying to establish which route is worth it, because unfortunately all of these routes cost money. And I know that's not fair. And spending more on the, on the lawyer's fees yeah. and what your actual original debt yeah. was. So you but need now to he's asking up. the question he really wants to know is, is who is the commissioner and why can he just decide amongst himself, you know, on his own yeah. that you don't actually need that extra thousand yeah. rand? You know, the, the small claims court commissioners are appointed by the court. Um, as, as far as I know, they are actually even sort of sworn in uh, by the Minister of Justice. They're usually senior attorneys and advocates who work uh, within the jurisdiction of that particular small claims court. And so they're very qualified people. They've been officially appointed and they do have a certain amount of freedom when it comes to the order that they want to grant. And yeah, you know, when it comes to making an order that the person should pay in installments, usually that's not something that they would grant without reason. So it could be that this debtor, you know, pleaded poverty or, or actually, you know, gave evidence regarding what he earns. So usually, you know, I've seen that many times, usually that's a way for the commissioner to actually try and speed things up. So to say, okay, I'll give you your order for however much it was, 12,000 rand or whatever, and I'm going to make part of the order, the fact that this guy must pay 300 rand a month, that then actually helps the creditor because he doesn't have to launch further court proceedings later to get a separate order for the payment of monthly mm. installments, which is usually what happens is people need to actually go back to court just to get that order. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, debt collection is frustrating um, and it's, it's terrible that a creditor has to spend more money just trying to get back, you know, what's, what's rightfully owed to him. But, you know, it's all, yeah. It's yeah, all about know, board, yeah. unfortunately. What Robert? annoys me, sorry, what annoys me about the whole situation is that I have written to the Minister of Justice, Justice and everybody and to the magistrate here and said, why do prosecutors just decide not to prosecute a person when there's been, an, you know, they have all this drive, uh, drive safety and arrive mm. life campaigns and all this sort of thing. But when there's an actual accident, or, you know, it's, it, you don't even know if it's an accident because this guy rode in the back of me when I was stationary and driving on the wrong side of the road. And like I say, we had to go to court. I don't know how many times because the magistrate kept on. Okay, Robert, I think we've, we've we unfortunately can't help you any further with that, I'm afraid. As you say, you've written to all the relevant parties, and um, I don't think my guests are going to be able to help you any further with that. But thank you very much for getting through, and good luck with uh, trying to recover your debt. Not a, not a good place to be. Andres in Bloemfontein, good evening. Oh, good, good evening, Carly. Hello, how can we help you, Andres? Yes, my name is 
I just want to know, I'm speaking on behalf of my father. Though he got a lot of that is drowning on the, in, in the lot of that. But the problem is the African bank is still giving him money. When I, I tried to tell him, hey man, this guy is a bad player, he's not going to say no, or he just back off, he's paying as well, whether he's waking or he's not waking. As long as we get our money, whether he's, uh, he's jumping the man, you know what I'm saying? But now, isn't there isn't there a rule now where you they're supposed to do an investigation into your credit worthiness and they can't just keep lending you money all the time? I mean that's part of the national what's it's not not the national it's the national credit act. They're supposed to do a financial needs analysis yes. and see whether you can afford the debt, um, and whether it's affordable. And uh, if there are transgressions later on, it could be proven that they were in fact reckless lending in that they didn't follow a proper process to determine the affordability of that of that consumer and the amount of debt that was extended to them. So yes, that that is a problem. So what can Andres do now? His father, he says, is drowning in debt, but the bank is still sort of literally drowning him back with more money. We, we've just become involved with uh, several clients who've, who've landed up in a similar position and um, our suggestion is, is, is to really, in terms of the um, the credit provider is to report into the national credit regulator. There's a dedicated unit that investigates transgressions by uh, their members. And um, I would suggest that they contact the, uh, their office in Johannesburg. And they've on their website, they've got a dedicated uh, investigation unit. You send them your details, your statement, and any correspondence. And then they will fight the fight on your behalf because that member, uh, the credit provider, is a member and they've signed a code of conduct and to adhere to certain standards and, and behavior. So Andres, you can actually get hold of the National Credit Regulator. I tried it, ma'am, but the problem is whenever I tried to do that, they told me, no, as long as our customers bring us nicely, we've got no problem. And the reason, is, uh, the reason why is whenever they give him the credit, they just give him the credit because they know him, not about he qualify. You know what I'm saying? Just because they know him and... Uh, the person who's giving the first person of the of that thing is getting commission as soon as somebody's getting the money. Is your father? So but we, you say your father's drowning in debt. Is he managing to keep up with these repayments, though? That's correct, man. He is. He's still, he is still carrying on taking the money, but the problem he's unable to pay. But sometimes he's paying. He's jumping the money. He's a bad payer. He do pay, but he's a bad payer. I oh, say so he pays and when he and can. And basically. if you are the bad player, you know you cannot get the credit tomorrow or next month. But the problem is, I can't. I, I, I try with his ID number to stop him to wherever where he's trying to uh, borrow the money so that they, they, they can't lend the money. But now, have you contacted the National Credit Regulator, Andres? No, no, I, I only yeah. contact the, this thing, uh, this company. No, don't, don't, don't contact the bank. You need to go to an organization called the National Credit Regulator. You yeah. can find them in Johannesburg, and if you go onto the internet, they've got a website, and they've got a contact number on there. And but do I, they but would do be I, able to help you. You just have to tell them what's going on, and they'll be able to give you advice. Cause do I sound professional, or am I bad for my father? And I'm trying to stop him doing you're try, that. You're trying to help him, because I'm sure if, if it comes to that, you're going to end up trying to carry the debt on his behalf, Andres. That's right. So tell me, so as soon as he, he, doesn't, he can't uh, pay this thing, you gonna come? Uh, I mean, the, about about the garnish order or yes, to probably, come to yes. take some inherit yes. inherit our furniture at home? Yes. Will they do that even if he if he can't pay? Yes. Even though we are old, you know, we can't stop them. Or no, that, to do, we that, have to stop my father. That is why you need to contact the national credit regulator because the bank is not supposed to be giving him all this money. Okay, when is the stage of inheriting someone's assets? 
if you don't pay that account? How many stages do you pass before you come to the house and take the furniture and take the, uh, the car and sell it? It's, to recover the debt. Yeah, there's, you know, uh, there's still a long way to go in this, you know, as long as he hasn't received any documents yet. So you need to make sure, has he received letters of demand? Have summonses been served on him that he hasn't told you about? Because once that's happened, then judgment could be granted against him. And then absolutely, the sheriff could arrive and want to attach his furniture. So you need to be proactive and make sure, you know, talk to him and just find out what has he received, if anything, and then get assistance, get legal assistance. If it's pre-judgment, you can see a debt counsellor, which is um, in terms of the National Credit Act. So, yeah, you, you know, you need to be on the ball and, and make sure that you nip this one in the bud before it goes any further. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, but just get in touch with the National Credit Regulator, Andres, because they'll be able to give you advice what to do as far as the bank lending your father all that money. Yeah, because when I was trying to talk to him, he cannot listen. He can listen to, to me now, but tomorrow he's done. Uh, signing the papers, he got the money. Okay, well, you need he to contact, worry about the son. contact the national to the young person. Well, co contact the national credit regulator. I'll put the contact details up on my website. So if you want to look at the Facebook, uh, it's Law on SAFM. I'll have all those details up there by tomorrow morning, so you'll be able to okay, find I, that there. I'll, I'll, I'll do that, Karen. Okay, thanks, Andres. You too. Good night to you, night. Albert in Johannesburg. Good evening, Albert. Hello. Hi, are you there? Hello. 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 Can you? Yes. Yes. Albert, this line is terrible. I think we're going to try and get you back. We'll we'll call you back. So hang up the phone, and we'll call you back, and hopefully we can get a better line. Well, while we're waiting to get Albert back on the line, um, Peter, you were telling me during one of the breaks about something about a five percent admin per this percentage thing. What what is this, and how does this work? Um, the act allows uh, employers to charge a five percent commission for the administration of the emolument attachment order on behalf, on behalf of the employee. And what a lot of companies do is they retain that 5% of, of the monthly deduction, and that 5% is used towards um, paying for people or systems to manage the emolument attachment order on behalf of the employees. But part of the problem that, 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 that I'm experiencing is a lot of organizations don't have the expertise in-house, and they, they don't understand what they need to do, the rights of the employee or the employee. So we've, we've come across several uh, good garnishy audit companies that will, uh, for that same 5%, so it's no further cost to the employer, they will take over the uh, management of those emolument attachment orders, they will do the audit, the investigation, and they'll manage those orders on a monthly basis on behalf of em employers. The benefit of that is you've, you've got a team of specialists who understand the laws, the acts, they understand when an order arrives, whether it's valid or invalid, and they in fact take that administration away from the employers who quite honestly feel that it's a, a, a burden and that it's if they can get rid of it, it's, um, it's to their benefit. So my suggestion is to organizations that are suffering or under the administration or, or don't understand it is to look for a reputable garnishing management company. One that's got a big track record. A lot of them are doing a lot of work for the big mining companies and financial services companies. I have worked with some of them and they do a really good job. So in terms of where government is going at the moment in terms of wanting to ban garnish orders, I, I think it may be premature. Uh, there are solutions to the process. What would they replace it with then? Well, that's the big discussion. I think at the end of last year, there was a workshop for all the role players, be they attorneys, debt collectors, 
um, garnish your audit companies where National Treasury said that they found that there was too much, too much abuse and exploitation. They wanted to ba ban them. But nobody can see what the alternative is. Um, there was a, a discussion around putting a government uh, kind of uh, ACB-type clearing system, but that would be several years away. So I think um, whatever that mechanism is going to be is still quite far away in terms of becoming reality. Yeah. So, so we've really, I mean, we, we've helped quite a few companies in terms of taking that burden away from them, and it's worked. So it's, I think it's one of those alternatives employers should investigate. Well, we're we going to go to Elbert shortly, but uh, before we do that, just quickly before we go to the soccer, Louise, we were speaking earlier as well about judgments and defaults. What is, what is the difference between a judgment and a default, and how does it affect us? Um, if you uh, get yourself a credit record, we're all entitled to get one per year for free. Uh, some people may be, un, you know, be un unfortunate and find that they have judgments and defaults on their credit record. The difference is a judgment would be a court judgment, so usually a default judgment. Um, and that would be where summons were served on the person, they ignored it, and next thing um, the creditor went and got a judgment. A default, on the, on the other hand, is where you simply may have missed a payment, you know, and that could happen in a variety of situations. You move and you don't get the invoice, that kind of thing. Um, what's very ironic about the, these two things is that a judgment is a lot easier to get rid of than a default. Uh, when I say easier, there is a long process to go through with a judgment. You need to apply to the court where the judgment was granted and um, ask the court to rescind that judgment. Uh, that can be a long process depending on the, the circumstances. But once you've got that order rescinding the judgment, you then send it to the credit bureau and they need to then remove the judgment from your, your credit history. With a default, however, there's no court process because it was never, it's never been through the court. So all you can really do is go to an attorney and ask them to write letters to the credit bureau explaining, you know, that you in fact were not in default or you've, you've cleared the debt or whatever the case is and kind of, um, you know, uh, ask them nicely to, to remove that default from your name. And of course they can just ignore you, you know, because it's not like you can send them a court order which is official and, and instructs them to, you know, th that this thing is, has gone away. So that's why it's so important to just make sure you're on top of things. Or don't, don't get there in the first place. Yeah. If you can yeah. possibly help yeah. it, just don't yeah. get there yeah. in the first place. Well, hopefully have Elbert back on the line with a better line. Elbert in Johannesburg, good evening. Good evening. Oh, that's a little bit better. Hi, how can we help you, Elbert? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, my problem is that uh, I had uh, uh, kind of uh, an account with the municipality there in Zakan. Okay. Yeah, they sent me, and it was an amount of uh, something like 16,000 rand altogether that I needed to pay. That, okay, I went there to secure the, the payment, the repayment of that 16,000 rand. All they did is I would pay this amount without interest. And this, they wanted me to pay 10% of it, of which is something like 1,500. Then the remainder I would pay in equal installment until comes to an end. All they did... They secure that amount, then they open another current account that I will continue paying my current uh, savings every month. Okay. Okay. Yes. So uh, what I did, I paid that 15,000 rand, I think, come to an end. Then I went there just to set to, to close the account. Because they told me that once you finish to pay the last cent of it, got, the account's going to close it automatically. Okay. When it came to that point, the account was uh, came to 15,000 rand closed. When I went there, they said, no, there's another account that uh, just arose. I said, oh, how? They said, no, 
this interest somewhere. I said, no, you said I have to pay, secure the 15,000 rand. Then once it's finished, the account's going to close automatically. So I just wondering how these things work because I currently have my, my current account in which I'm paying my, my service every month. But on the other hand, they say I owe more, another 7,000 rand. I don't know where that. Okay. Oh, oh, gosh. Okay. I'm taking wind now. I don't know what the story is. Now. Okay. Let yes. me ask my guest. It's a municipal account. He's paid fifteen hundred rand apparently to secure the debt. He says in the beginning, which apparently I think was supposedly sort of like the interest he paid up front almost, and then he paid off the the balance, and now suddenly they're hitting him with more interest. Is that how it normally works? Look, it really depends on whether the municipality took a judgment against him or not, or whether, you know, it's before that point. Sometimes there are duplications with these municipal accounts for various reasons. Um, so it really depends at what stage it is. Uh, the best advice would be for him to establish, is it pre or post judgment? If it's post judgment, see if there's any way that he can discuss all of this with the attorneys who do the debt collection for the municipality. Um, and, you know, then ask them for a full breakdown of how everything has been calculated. If it's before judgment, um, then it may be worth still going to an attorney and asking them to assist him with requesting the full breakdown and um, an explanation of why there has been, you know, duplication of accounts and all sorts of things like that. Uh, it's going to be a long road, I think, Albert, you, especially with a municipal account. You're going to have to look into it and possibly get hold of an attorney to help you because it could get quite complicated. I'm sorry we can't help you any further with that, but thank you very much indeed for getting through to us this evening. Um, we're coming up to the end of the show, but just very briefly as a wrap-up, some pointers for the listeners on garnish your orders. Peter? I think from a perspective of garnish your orders, when they get served on the employer, make sure you check the information, make sure the employer is working for you is clearly identified there's a case there's a case number it's been stamped make sure you see the original um, and then decide how you want to administer it either yourself and make sure you you understand fully what you need to do or you outsource it and then advise your employees uh, in terms of their rights and I also think in terms of educating them in terms of the process we've also suggested uh, educating people in terms of financial management to better manage their their debt. Their debt. Yeah, I would never to get into debt. Well, that's from the employer side, Louise. Employee? Yeah, absolutely. You know, start with trying to manage your debts, of course, trying to keep track of all of your expenses and make sure that you don't get into arrears with any of your accounts. And if you do, then immediately approach the creditor. So, for example, if you're in arrears with a furniture store, go and talk to them, see if there's a plan that can be made without them actually taking legal action against you. Because while it might, it might sound that you know convenient for a little bit of money to be taken off your salary every month, you've got to realize that that can only happen after judgment has been granted against you. Um, interest is running all the time. You're you blacklisted. You know it. It has a lot a of negative. Yeah, be. it's got a lot of negative. So there's that it. thing that the section one two nine letter. Yeah. When that arrives. Yeah. Deal with that. Or even if you get a, a a statement saying that you 30 days in arrears, you know, do something about it. Phone them up. Make yeah. a plan. Yeah. Don't just sort of put it in file 13 yeah. and think it's just going to disappear. Yeah, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. Well, my thanks once again this evening to attorney Louise Ostler, who practices at Skumman Attorneys in Cape Town, and Peter Allwright, Senior Forensic Manager at Edward Nathan Sonnenberg, also here in Cape Town. And they've been my guests on tonight's edition of the Law Report Program. Thank you both very much indeed for joining me. Thank, Thank you. you.
The Law Report is on the air every Monday evening on SAFM between 9 and 10. And in next week's law program, being the last Monday of the month, attorney Marlon Chevalier will be joining us once again and we'll be chatting about property law. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 28th of January. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with Health Matters, so join me then. And just remember, if you need any information, you can find me on Facebook. It's Law on SAFM, or you can email me. It's law at safm.co.za. We'll